Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's podcast, which is on what we have learned from the quarter four earnings season. I'm Yaoxin Wong from Equity Specialist Asia, and I will be your host for this session. Joining me as our speaker is Philip Kramer, Equity Specialist from our Zurich office. Hello, Philip. How are you? Hi, Yoshin. Good to hear from you. Turbulent times at the moment, but thanks. All good at my end. Mm -hmm. The quarter four earnings season is slowly but surely coming to an end and has once again caused major market movements. Coupled with events currently happening on the global stage, the start of 2022 really has been action-packed indeed. Global markets had a shaky start to 2022. The S&P 500, Eurostoxx 50, and Nikkei 225 indexes were all down in excess of 4% for the month of January. Hang Seng Index was actually the outlier, plus 2%, after underperforming for most of 2021. The conflict between Russia and Ukraine has been weighing down on global markets in February. The same indexes all down in excess of 2% for the month. At first glance, quarter four numbers were generally better than expected. However, worries about inflation and the situation in Ukraine has no doubt clouded visibility going forward. Which is why we have Philip to shed some light on the market today. So let's get right into the topic now. And let me ask you, Philip, how do you feel about equity markets these days? Well, there is currently one overarching topic dominating headlines and financial markets, namely the Ukraine invasion by Russia. First of all, to make the link to the earnings season, I think that the impact on corporate earnings of the S&P 500 and Stocks Europe 600 index companies is limited, as the index members only derive a marginal part of their revenue in Russia and Ukraine. Nevertheless, I think developed market equities could experience further underperformance if military actions are prolonged and the West begins to interfere materially, mainly due to dampened investor sentiment and a lower growth outlook. Generally speaking, it seems that the sentiment levels currently driving and marking the direction of financial markets. Consequently, the higher uncertainty is causing volatility on the market. This makes me feel somehow cautious in the shorter term. However, history tells us that major geopolitical events will have no much impact on markets after 6 to 12 months. Instead, if history is any guide, geopolitical crises usually offered attractive buying opportunities. So there are definitely still interesting areas to invest and tactical calls to be made in the land of equity. In the longer term, I think it does make sense to tilt equity portfolios towards more defensive stocks, which tend to perform well when economic momentum slows down and policy uncertainty remains high. Thank you for those interesting insights, Philip. Now let's focus on the quarter four earnings season, which is coming to an end in Europe and America. What is your overall take? As you said it right, Yoshin, Q4 earnings season is drawing to a close. Those of you who feel that this time it was a bit of a sideshow are not completely wrong. Recently, the direction of the stock market is dictated more by macroeconomic factors than by microeconomic ones, in particular by rate hike discussions and, of course, by the mentioned Ukraine-Russia tensions. 
However, it does not mean that this earnings season was a non-event. Quite the opposite holds true, actually. From strong beats to earnings blowouts leading to big market swings in both directions, the season once again provided lots of compelling material leading to interesting observations. I'm looking forward to share them with you in the next few minutes in order to help navigating through the volatile waters of the equity markets. So we do as well. Now, before hoisting the anchor and setting sail, can you quickly outline on the bigger picture stating how earnings in the US and Europe came in? Sure, with pleasure. Well, if we have a look at the S&P 500, over 95% of companies have reported their Q4 earnings. Corporate Europe usually is reporting a bit later. Out of the Stocks Europe 600 index, around 85% of the company's earnings are in the books by now. From a top-down perspective, earnings growth remains elevated in both the US and Europe. On a sequential basis, an improvement of earnings delivery in Europe, both in terms of growth rate and as a proportion of companies beating EPS projections, can be seen. The US, however, has seen some softening in both of these metrics. This continues a trend of above average but moderating earnings beats compared with the previous seasons. Overall, while the beat ratio in Q4 remained at historically elevated levels, the magnitude of earnings surprises declined to pre-corona levels. Very interesting. Now, you said that there was an improvement of earnings delivery in Europe, but the US has seen some softening in both those metrics. How do things look like on a sector level? Well, on a sector level, Yoshin, if all 11 gig sectors are taken into consideration, earnings delivery has been better compared to initial consensus expectations, with a 6% EP surprise in the US and 7% in Europe, respectively. One sector which has to be highlighted here is the oil and gas one. Energy earnings in Europe and US continue to provide a boost to overall earnings growth. Having a look at the S&P 500, all sector ex-utilities reported a positive earnings growth, with materials and industrials in particular standing out. Changing continents and having a look at the Stocks Europe 600 index, I noted that cyclical companies in Europe have been reporting better earnings growth compared to defensives. Thank you. Now, what we also need to talk about, Philip, is inflation, a buzzword that is on everyone's lips these days. During earnings season, you looked at many company reports and participated in earnings calls. How much of a concern is inflation for companies? Well, inflation definitely has been one of the hot topics within earnings. By the way, I recently saw an interesting statistic that 73% of the S&P 500 companies that have conducted earnings calls for Q4 have cited the word inflation during the call. This is the highest percentage on earnings calls going back to at least 2010. However, this does not really come as a surprise if you think about it, that the PCE index, which measures inflation excluding more volatile items such as food and energy, jumped over 5% in January, seeing the biggest annual rise since 1983. Going forward, many companies across the pond believe that inflation-dented income growth will discourage price-sensitive consumers from continuing to spend at that brisk pace. While consumer optimism, driven by tight labor market, remains strong, early indications point to a cooling. I've also witnessed similar comments in Europe where inflation has started to drive greater consumer price sensitivities as low- and middle-income families have started to pull back on spending for pricier brands. In addition, 
What boosted inflation concerns even further was the Ukraine-Russia tension. At a time when most companies in the US and Europe reported their Q4 numbers, an invasion of Ukraine by Russia was a rather unlikely scenario. However, now with this scenario played out, concerns that Russia will show its willingness to use gas exports as leverage against harsh economic sanctions from the West definitely add inflationary pressures. So overall, Yoshin, inflation is clearly a concern and the time will tell which companies can deal with it. Mm. This is an interesting point, so let's stick to it for a bit. So tell us, Philip, who is in a good position to then absorb inflation? Well, that's a good question. So generally speaking, companies which manage to pass on higher costs to their consumers, such as higher wages and input prices, are in a good position. So pricing power is absolutely key in coping with rampant inflation. Looking back, consensus was far too bearish on corporate pricing power in Q3 last year, and one of the key questions for Q4 was whether companies would still find themselves in a position to pass on higher input prices to the end consumer. After analyzing many earnings reports, it looks like that corporate pricing power peaked in Q2 last year and stabilized last quarter at relatively high levels. However, looking forward, concerns about the potential change are definitely warranted. Why do I think so? Well, a good bottom-up indicator normally are the big box retailers. They are seen as bellwethers of inflation due to their huge store footprint, diverse consumer base, and strong emphasis on groceries. And interestingly, those companies have voiced concerns about their future ability to pass on further input cost increases to their consumer. In addition, while also weighting heavily on consumers' assessment of their future income prospects are high gasoline and oil prices amid the geopolitical tension. I see. Thank you for the clarification. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience, Philip? Indeed, there is another point I would like to mention, Yoshin. What went beyond our scope of imagination was that we saw last year's darling imploding on disappointing Q4 earnings releases in a very vicious and devastating manner. And I'm not talking about exotic small cap names, quite the opposite. Large cap names, such as the US big tech giants, suffered double-digit intraday declines over 20% after releasing their earnings reports. So traders these days seem to be quick to hit the sell button on earnings disappointments. All in all, companies have not been punished this much for missing earnings forecasts in over a decade. Simultaneously, the market has been rewarding positive EPS surprises to a lesser degree compared with historical norms. That was very interesting, Philip. Thank you for sharing your insights from this earnings season. Sure, with pleasure. And thanks again for having me, Yoshin. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up today's session, I'll add some color on the takeaways from the Asian earnings season. As of 3rd March, more than 43% of MSCI Asia-Pacific ex-Japan companies have reported, with 61% of them beating estimates for the top line. However, higher costs of goods sold and operating expenses meant only about 33% of these companies exceeded expectations on the bottom line. In fact, the aggregate surprise for net profit was a minus 6.8%. Different sectors have seen contrasting fortunes in this set of results. The technology sector, which has faced considerable regulatory headwinds of late, saw 63% of companies report better than expected revenues. However, increasing competition and high operating costs 
meant only 35% of these companies beat expectations for net profit. We saw similar situations for consumer discretionary, consumer staples, and energy sectors, where beats on the top line did not necessarily translate to the bottom line. On the other hand, communications, financials, and healthcare sectors fared better with aggregate surprise of net profit in excess of plus 7% versus expectations. With supply chain disruptions ongoing and inflation expected to remain a concern for the rest of the year, companies have understandably sounded a cautious tone on guidance. Lastly, with the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine playing out, it is worthwhile to note that equities in Southeast Asia outperformed during Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014, supported by reasonable valuations. We believe that there is similar scope for resilience amidst the current conflict. There is also cause to be optimistic over macro and microeconomic prospects for the region, as Southeast Asia continues to make progress in its reopening plans. Over the long run, structural forces are reshaping global supply chains and redirecting investment flows towards regional economies, like those in Southeast Asia. This bodes well for the region's multi-year growth outlook. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is about all the time we have for today's podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed it and found it useful. We'll be back soon with an update on our takeaways for quarter one earnings season in a couple of months' time. Till then, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.